thank you, Rabbi Singer. Um, it was Erev Pesach. And normally, Helena Gota would have been um, cleaning the house, searching for Hamid, cleaning, ready, and preparing her children, ready for the Seder the following day. But actually, on this occasion, she was in the cellar, the secret cellar that had been built by her Hasidic husband, Mendel, and the other Hasidim of the building. She was dressing her children, ready to leave. Two pairs of tights, two pairs of clothes. Truthfully, they never thought that they would leave. But the preparations were being made. That day there was no Seder, and the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising began. The twins, Pinchas and his sister Sabina, were somewhat excited, Pinchas in particular, because at age 11 he hoped that he could help with the resistance. Little did he know that his parents were going to keep him firmly in the cellar in the unfolding days. The eight days of Passover came and went, and the family was still there. The fighting was still going on. Another week passed, maybe another. The time then became really unclear. But certainly, Passover was over, and all they had was a sock of sugar. A sock of sugar that Mendel and Helena had taken down in order to keep their children alive. And then there was a bang on the trap door. Rifle butts. The Jews of that building emerged from the stairs, and in that particular moment in time, something quite, I don't think it was miraculous, but something amazing happened. As 11-year-old Pinchas emerged up those stairs and out of that hatch, he and his Hasidic parents and his twin sister were not the victims of genocide, the victims of the Shoah right there and then. They were the enemies of the Third Reich. Pointing at them were guns, shouting and screaming at them were soldiers who said, Hände hoch. Why? For their own protection. They were being taken prisoner of war in that instant. Because in that particular moment in time, the Germans themselves feared for their own lives. It didn't last long. Just a few moments later, Pinchas and his sister Sabina and his mother and father were walking down the street through the Warsaw Ghetto to the Umschlagplatz, where the next morning they boarded the train, Mendel still holding the sock, which of course by this time was completely illegal and could have lost his life for it, but he just wanted to make sure he could keep his children alive. They arrived at Majdanek. The men went one way, the women went the other way. His twin sister went with his mother. They were split, which meant one of them was going to live. They didn't know that at that particular moment in time, but Sabina only wanted to be with her mother, so she ran back to her mother into the arms of her mother and into the arms of death. An hour later, Pinkus Gutter was the only one of the family still alive. I was speaking to him, 
probably 10 years ago now. And he told me that he wanted to write a book about his experiences. And I was explaining to him that there were many books about the Holocaust and that maybe that wouldn't be just a, a, a really profitable exercise, but maybe because he'd given his testimony to the USC Shoah Foundation and because he'd given his testimony to the Toronto Holocaust Center, that would be enough for the future. But he was insisting, and I said, tell me, because why are you insisting? And he said, well, the moment my sister disappeared around the corner of that building, I wiped out all memory of her because I knew that if I, if I mourned her, if I felt her loss, I myself would not survive. And to this day, I cannot remember my sister. I have no recollection of her face, of her eyes, of her smile, and she was my twin. I want you to help me find my sister. It's no uh, coincidence that uh, Yom HaShoah follows the celebration of Passover. In fact, uh, the original date for uh, Yom HaShoah was going to be on Erev Pesach when it was formed in 1953. Um, and at that particular point in time, um, the rabbis in Israel felt it probably would not be a good idea to mourn on Erev Pesach, which was a celebration of freedom. And so it was decided it would come after, at a point at which that freedom has been celebrated, but a sense of the past and its sorrow needs to be maintained. And a week before Yom HaZikaron, where the celebration of the state of Israel and its founding will come into being. Not as a avoidance of the past, not as a celebration of from tragedy to triumph, but to recognize these things all exist together in our lives. We say zachor, we say remember, because that indeed is what we want to do, but it's a very complex word. You know, when um, in, the, in the scriptures the command was given to remember the Amalekites. The command was remember what they had done and not to forget. Interesting, really, because one would think that remembering and not forgetting were the same thing, but they are not. It's easy to remember the past and actually, in so doing, kind of forget it, place it conveniently in our past, uh, mourn it, reflect on it, uh, have our commemorations, but actually just move away from it conveniently. We don't mean to do that, but it's a way to contain the pain and contain the grief. But we've also seen that if we just simply say, remember, but don't make an effort not to forget, then what happens is as a society and as a world, we can even forget the detail of what happened. Because not to forget is to be reminded. Just to remember is not enough. We have to not forget that these things can happen in our world. We have to not forget it was ordinary people that committed the Holocaust. It's not to forget that actually people turned a blind eye to the suffering of the Jews and not to forget that we have a role in the world too and that other people might be looking to us. You see, Jews were not looking for other Jews to come to their assistance as much as it would have been great had the American Jewish community done a little more than they had or spoken some more when they could have. They weren't looking for other Jews. They were looking for the world, for non-Jewish people to say, this is not my suffering, but it is my issue. It's not to forget that we do play a role in the world, in our world. It's not to forget that it's the small things 
that actually make a big difference. Um, Elijah and Aidan Muzzletov and your families. Um, Pinkus Gutu was two years younger than you when he went through the story I just told you. But I'm going to tell you about his bar mitzvah. Because it's a little act that made a big difference. So he survived that camp, and he went on to another camp, and then another. And he was in that camp, it was in a place called Częstochowa, Poland. He lost track of how old he was. He wasn't counting the days or the months of the years. There was no birthdays, there was no celebrations. He lost his family. But one person in the barracks, his name was Rabbi Gottel Eisner, had remembered this child from the town of Woods where they had grown up. And he remembered that he would be 13 around that time. And so one night in the barracks, he took him out of his bunk and said, Pinchas, you're going to be bar mitzvah. Now, of course, it was completely illegal to hold a celebration of any kind in a concentration camp. But they gathered some of the men around from the barracks. And there in the barracks, he was made bar mitzvah. And he said to him, he said, now that you're bar mitzvah, you're going to be a good Jew, and you are going to outlive Hitler. Recently, um, I had the chance to interview Pinchas Gutter, the same Pinchas who was in the Warsaw Ghetto, and I asked him the question, so why did you survive? And his answer was, I don't know, maybe it was fate or luck or providence, but I can tell you something, that when Rabbi Gottel Eisner made me bar mitzvah in that barracks, and he said to me, you will grow up to be a good Jew and you will outlive Hitler, I genuinely believed him. And that gave me a hope at the age of 13 just to keep going every single day because I wanted to fulfill that promise, a promise that ultimately he did. And so when I sit with Pinchas um, and think about his past, it's not just about remembering vaguely what happened. It's about the specifics of that moment. It's about the, the beauty of that moment in which Rabbi Gottel Eisner put himself at risk to ensure that that young man could have hope. Um, this evening I was given a book by um, Arthur Shostak, who's here somewhere, um, about these very acts, these small acts of care um, that he's been writing about that made the difference between life and death, where the risks were high, and seemingly what he was doing was very not so important. It wasn't going to overthrow the Nazis, but it meant that even to this day, Pinchas Gutter can tell his story. One of 55,000 of them in the USC Shoah Foundation's archive, and if you come on Sunday, I'm going to tell you all about that. JCC, SF. And so, in conclusion, when we come to remember, as we do this weekend, what I've found in the testimonies of not only Pinchas Gura, but the many thousands of testimonies that are in our archive, I have not found in the lives of the survivors bitterness and anger and hatred and revenge, the very things that they would be completely justified in holding in their hearts based on what happened to them. What I found is the tenaciousness of love and kindness and hope and care and teaching and 
having a sense that we all can contribute to making the world a better place to live in. That's not a remembrance which is reflective on the past. That's a remembrance that takes us forward into the future. And so those very people, including the Holocaust survivors who are in our community here in San Francisco right now, or who are of blessed memory, to leave their story behind so that we can not repeat that past, but be a part of a future that does not contain that. Um, tonight, I'm going on the red eye back to New York from where I came this, last night, because I'm meeting with Pinchas Kutta, who at this very moment um, is at a Shabbat in somebody's home in New York, but tomorrow he's going to be hanging out at the Tribeca Film Festival, as you do. Because tomorrow is the world premiere of a story called The Last Goodbye. It's a virtual reality story of Pinchas Gutter returning to Majdanek, to that very spot where he arrived with his twin sister, Sabina, and where I went with him in July so that he could go there and to remember that moment, which was an act of remembrance, and to say goodbye to her, knowing that he would never go back there again. But he's done that in a way that future generations can go on that journey with him, time and time and time and time again. Because his act of remembrance is not one that's to lock us in the past, but the very reason he's going to be there tomorrow um, telling that story to the world is because he believes that all of us have a role to play in our world to make sure that that world really is a better place for all of us. The door, the door. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. <laughs>